uh, if you've got a Bible, I need you to open to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Technically, we'll be in a little bit in chapter 15. Uh, but as you're, as you're turning there, I do want just to highlight what Dalton mentioned before is in a moment, we're going to have a map up on the screen. Uh, it may be hard for you to see, so I did make a printout there in the back if you would like that. There's also a little thing for sermon notes if you want to follow along with that. But as you gather your information together, just to kind of pre- prepare you, I'm, I'm very excited about what we're looking at today and where we're going, but we do have some ground to cover. And so uh, if you aren't there yet, Acts chapter 15, we're going to be in verse 36. And as you're making your way there, some of you may be aware, if you follow some of the news, the sporting news, that Tom Brady retired this past week. If, if you don't know who Tom Brady is, um, some of you are happy about that. Some of you are sad about that. Some of you are just indifferent about that. But this was a guy that, that he, he excelled in the NFL for about 22 seasons and set a lot of different records, won seven Super Bowls. And he, during that time, he got to be a part of that brotherhood and that community where they try to rally around that specific purpose or cause to hopefully win a Super Bowl for your team and, and for your city. And, and today, what I'm wanting is to see here in the second missionary journey that Paul is going to be taking, is what we're going to see is that Paul gets to be a part uh, of creating a community, but it's rooted around a specific cause. And, And I just want us to kind of look at that here today. And we're going to be reading a couple of larger chunks of scripture. uh, So that way we can kind of then go back and take a look. So Acts chapter 15 Beginning in verse 36, we're going to read well into chapter 16, so just follow along, um, uh, underline, mark things that stand out to you, but just follow along and let's just read the word for a second. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back to some of the churches that we started on our first missionary trip, is basically what he's saying to his friend Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria, Sicilia, and strengthening the churches. Chapter 16. So Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Hopefully those city names are familiar to you from our study a few weeks ago. Came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Underline that name. Uh, If you haven't got to read a lot of Scripture, that's going to be a name that you'll hear as you continue to read throughout the New Testament. This is the first introduction of Timothy. Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Well, Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to go with him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Also see Acts chapter 15, what we studied last week, the Council of Jerusalem. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden, note that, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. 
And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, think, think Greece, a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he, Paul, had seen the vision immediately, I would underline that word, immediately we, I would underline that word, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on, that, on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And so we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled there. All right, it's map time. And so we're going to have a map up on the screen. I, I, I know from just earlier I heard it popping, so it may go off and on, but that's okay. You've got your own copy right there in front of you. But we're going to go to the map and just kind of see, just kind of a brief overview of what we just read. Essentially, just to kind of get familiar with the map, kind of get your bearings, uh, Mediterranean Sea, here's Jerusalem down here. Antioch is the sending church that has sent Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary trip. This is a map depicting their second missionary trip, at least specifically Paul's. So they're in Antioch, in this wonderful church that is about the mission of God, the cause of Jesus, getting the gospel out. Paul is sitting with his buddy Barnabas, and he says, you know this area of Galatia and Pamphylia that we were at, where Derby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch of Pisidia, Perga, let's go back to those churches. Because we not just started them, but we feel like we have a responsibility for them. We care for them. So let's go back and, and, and try to encourage them and strengthen them. And Barnabas is like, yes, let's do that. And he says, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, that's a bad idea. And they begin to fight over this. They have this huge argument, so much so that they split. And this is one of those moments where I read this passage and I see this as a terribly sad situation, but God can do some incredible things, even in the midst of sad situations, even in the midst within ministry, where we choose to, at times, disagree with one another. There's maybe not just this perfect sense of cohesion and unity. And so Barnabas says, well, I'm going to take John Mark, and I'm going to go to the island of Cyprus, because that's where Barnabas is from, and he knows the area. And what I love about Barnabas is this. Sometimes you can read this, and we're almost, a lot of people are always pro-Paul, because Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. I'm pro-Paul and pro-Barnabas. I like them both. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement, and he just, had, I think, has this sensitive heart for John Mark of he, he did leave us on the first missionary trip and kind of abandoned us, deserted us, it says, when they were in Perga, and John Mark went back to Jerusalem. And so Paul didn't care for that, didn't like that. We don't know all the details of it. So kind of a sad situation, but Barnabas, being the encourager that he is, he sees John Mark and says, you're not done. God's not done with you. I want him to come with us. And, and Paul has his reasons of, I just don't think it's a good idea. So he says, I'm going to take Silas with me. We learned about, we were introduced to Silas in chapter 15 last week. So they split and go their different ways. And this is what's interesting. In a moment of division, God creates multiplication. In a moment where we could see, man, there's a division within the church and this is a sad situation. I think that it still is. But God multiplies to where instead of one group going out, now two groups are going out for the specific purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And so God uses this, leverages this in his sovereignty, in his way in which the word is going to continue to go out. So 
This time, instead of Paul getting on a boat and doing that first missionary trip, he goes by land. He goes to his hometown, I would imagine, of Tarsus. It doesn't say that, but that's the route that you would want to go. And he makes his way up into some of these churches that we saw on the first missionary trip. Derby and Lystra, Iconium. He's going into that region to try to encourage and strengthen them. And it's here in Lystra, Iconium, that area, that they meet this young guy named Timothy. And Paul just has such a, just has such a draw to this young man. This young man who's spoken of so highly by even those within the region, those within the church, they, they, they were, they, it says that he was well spoken of by them. And those of you that have had the opportunity to read a little bit more scripture, you may remember Timothy as being this individual that was really like a son to Paul. A son in the faith that he mentored, uh, that he, he just gave so much of his time and energy on or into, and he invites him to come with him and Silas on the rest of this trip. And then he does something that, that I think, maybe you're not asking this question, but I did, is in verse 3, just look at your scripture, we're going to keep the map up there, so look at your copy. In verse 3, it says that Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him. And it's like, well, we just went through chapter 15 when the whole point of that was people were saying you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. So why is Paul, who was a part of that group in that meeting, now saying, Timothy, I need you to be circumcised? And he's aware chronologically speaking, he's aware of this situation of what's going on because later on in verse 4, as they're passing through these cities, they're, he's talking to them about what was decided at the Council of Jerusalem, that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. And so th- this, this is the key thing to recognize. This is still not a salvation issue that Paul is dealing with with Timothy. Timothy already is a part of the body of Christ. He already is saved. He's already, as we saw last week, He's saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation isn't the issue. Ministry is the issue. There's a willingness, and this speaks volumes to Timothy, to where it says he was born of a Jewish woman and a Greek guy, which was basically a Jew and a Gentile. That was a huge no-no in Jewish culture. And so it's understood that because in that day and time in that society, you're going to follow kind of the customs and the ways of, of of the father, that probably Timothy not been circumcised. And as they're going to go into different regions and different churches, where, remember, Paul's MO is to go into synagogues where there are Jewish individuals or God-fearers, and they're going to say circumcision is a big deal. They don't know everything that happened in the Council of Jerusalem. All they know is two, three guys are coming into their synagogue, and one is kind of this half-breed, Jew and Gentile. He's not circumcised, and they're going to be so distracted. Why would I listen to what they have to say? And what Paul says is essentially, Timothy, are you, would you be willing to go through this? It's asking a lot. And Timothy, for the sake of the gospel, is willing to go through something that, Lord bless him. Grown man. This isn't eight days after you're born, baby boy. This is grown man saying, yeah, circumcise me. And so he, he goes to this extent and to this extreme, not because of legalism, and again, salvation is not the issue, but because I want to be able to have no distraction or hindrance between me and getting the gospel to these individuals. And it reminds me of what Paul shares. Read First and Second Corinthians. Read Romans. Of where Paul is willing to give up just about anything to not there be, for there not to be a stumbling block or a distraction to prevent someone from maybe listening to what he has to say about the gospel of Jesus. And it's such a lesson for us that sometimes what we do is we hold on to our freedom in Christ. I'm free to do whatever I want. 
because I'm free in Christ. That also means you are free in Christ to sacrifice what is rightfully yours for the cause of the gospel. Timothy is willing to do so. I was reminded of these words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I have become all things to all people so that I may by all means save some. I'm willing to become all things to all people. Now, real quickly, because we don't have a lot of time to tarry here, but some people will take this idea and go, oh, well, then that means I need to become a cocaine addict to reach people who are struggling with cocaine or whatever it is. That's not what this is saying. Paul never, Paul never dabbled in sin in order to reach a sinner but he was willing to sacrifice certain things that were not sinful issues, but maybe cultural issues in which to try to cross a barrier in order to become all things to all people. So don't walk out here and go, oh, well, you know, I've got to become an alcoholic if I want to reach the alcoholics. That's not what it's teaching. It's this willingness to sacrifice those things that are more cultural in order to reach that culture and say, yes, I will. I'll be there. So that, that's Timothy. There's so much more that's so good, but we've got to continue to dive in. So Back to the map. And so they're in Lystra and they're in Iconium and Timothy jumps in and they make their way into Asia. And as they get into Asia, there's this moment where Paul is just really interested in wanting to go further into Asia, which if you see on your map, these are a lot of the churches of the book of Revelation. Eventually these churches get founded, but not on this trip. And Paul's like, man, I want to go into Asia. I want to go into Asia. And did you see what it said? It's, It's so interesting to me. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. Like this is good stuff. This is ministry, Jesus. Like Why would you not want me to go and tell people about Jesus? But they were forbidden. So Paul's like, oh, hey, well. So so Paul Paul was like, uh, well, I can't go this way. I can't go into Asia. I'm going to go into Bithynia. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go east. And some scholars have said, if not for the Macedonian vision of him going west and he would have gone east, our society and our culture would probably look very differently. Because this is how the church began to go west into Europe, across the pond to North America. If he'd gone this way, he might have run into Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, China. He might have gone, the gospel might have gone that way. But instead, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit, God, prevents this. Now, there's some speculation, which I, which I think is kind of interesting, and I think there's a little bit of perhaps substance to this, is what's preventing Paul from being able to go? Like, what's actually happening? And one thought among a lot of commentators is that he got incredibly sick at this moment. He tried to go, but he couldn't. Some people think it's when he's talking about this uh, in, in Corinthians of where he speaks of this thorn in his flesh, he has this constant struggle or issue. Some people may think, think it maybe it's his eyesight. Some people think he just is incredibly sick. Whatever it may be, what's interesting is if you get into verse, uh, verse 10. In verse 10, he's been prevented twice to go into these two different regions, and then he receives the Macedonian vision of, hey, come west, come into Greece. And so, um, first of all, immediately he goes But second of all, this is the first time where we see someone write down, when we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. This is the first time where instead of saying they went there and they did this, the writer of Acts says we. This is the first time where Luke is a part of the trip. Luke wrote this. Do some of you remember what Luke's profession is? He's a doctor. So it's not for sure, but there's a lot that wonder why he was prevented, Paul, of going to these different regions is because he got sick. And in order to continue on, the physician Luke joined their trip at this moment in order to be a part of this. And he continued just to travel from, from there on out because Paul needed that doctor. He needed that physician by his side. That's a bit of speculation, but I, but I think it's interesting that it's at this moment 
when he can't go here, can't go there, he's being forbidden, but now he can go west and Luke is with him. He's going to be a part of this journey with him from on out. And so, uh, and so you, you get to there and then from there they, they make it to Troas, which was kind of, that's where ancient Troy would have been. Um, they make it to Troas and then they make their way across here, the, the Aegean Sea of Thamothrace, and, and then they get into Neapolis and then finally to Philippi. Philippi should be familiar to you because of the book of Philippians. And if there was ever a church that Paul just had a fondness for, it's the church of Philippi. You can, you can tell by some of his writings. When he writes to the Galatian church, he doesn't even say hi. He just jumps into it and he's like, what is wrong with you guys? I mean, I preached you a gospel and you're, you're just following something totally different. And with the Corinthians, he's like, please stop getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Like, just stop it. <laughs> like, common sense. With Philippi, he's like, man, I love you guys. I really love you guys. And, and, and you, you, when you read that, you see that he just has just such a, a fondness of this community. And we see the origins of how this took place. And so, for, for just a moment before we jump into the rest of this passage, um, and at this point you can take down the map. Um, for the rest of this passage, before we jump in, I just want to talk to you just a little bit about community and about a cause. Because I, I believe this idea of, if I, if I were to ask, I think, the average person, what is the greatest longing of your heart? I think for most people, it would, it would boil down to one of two things. It's something to do with a relationship, intimacy, community. Like, you, you want to be seen. You want to be loved. You want to be heard. You want to be valued by your fellow man. Like, we, we long for that. And for some of you, are like, ah, that's fine if I never get married. That's fine. I mean, that, if it happens, great. But what you're passionate about is I want to cause. I want to make an impact. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than I am, that's going to have a, a lasting impact and, and legacy. Like, I want, to, I want to see that mountain. I want to climb that mountain. I, I, want to, I want to go and I want to do. And I think etched within our hearts by the Creator is this longing for these two things, community and a cause. And, and as a result, is there's different causes that are more worthwhile and different communities that are more worthwhile. What I mean by that is this. Some causes, I think, objectively speaking, are better than others. If your cause is to want to cure a disease or cure cancer, that is a noble, worthy cause versus searching for like the ultimate, you know, hamburger or something like that. That's a cause that you could have, but, but I think there's a, a bit of a difference of the importance of the two or community. Some communities are, are better than others. There might be a community of nurses who are going to set aside some time to be a part of uh, some kind of a mobile medical unit because they want to rally around a cause to help people with physical needs and issues versus, you know, there, there, there might be a community that you can find all kinds of weird communities on Facebook of where they're going to rally around all kinds of weird things. And it's like that cause just doesn't seem to be the same kind of impact or effectiveness as this kind. But you, each and every one of you, myself included, we're, we're wired and, and have a need for deep community and deep cause. And we, want, we don't want just community for community's sake. Uh, this morning during our, our first Sunday prayer, we were praying, and it was just this idea of small groups are about to start back up. And I just prayed. I was like, Lord, I, just, I don't want it just to be, well, that's what churches do. We have small groups because we need community. It's like, no, we have a longing and a need to be seen and to be heard. And generally speaking, that's hard to do in rows. It's easier to do in circles. It's easier to do in a living room than it is in a, in a worship center because this time is designed to focus on Him primarily as a group. But there's something unique about having that community and that relationship. And so, so we want that community to be rallied 
around a specific cause. And, and this is what's interesting to me. However brief your cause is, however transient is, however brief it is, however temporary, is how, how long that community will last. Because um, again, some causes don't last any longer than the, the, the amount of that community. I, I'll give you a few examples. Go back to high school for just a second. Some of you are still there. Go back to high school for just a second. And, and when you were in high school, there, there was this community that you could be a part of. I love being a part of sports teams. And so I was a part of a variety of different sports teams. And here's our team. Our goal is to win the state championship. We have this cause that we're rallying around. Had an incredible community of guys that I, that I got to live life with and get into trouble with. Like it was just a fun bunch of guys. But you know what happened when we graduated? We dispersed. As you naturally do. Season's over. High school's over. There's maybe a handful of those guys that I, I, I literally, like, we, we, we bled and we sweat and we were running like, you know, 100 degree humidity weather. I mean, we went through things together that were pretty significant for the cause that we were trying to accomplish. And now that cause is over, our community's over. Same is true with college. So you go back to your college years and you have that group that you were studying with and going through a specific program or major and then you graduate you move, you get a job, you get a different opportunity, and maybe you stay in touch, but, but it's just different. That relationship is just different because you're not rallying around the same cause. Your cause has changed. It's shifted. Tom Brady, 22 years in the NFL, had incredible community there in New England for a couple of years in Tampa Bay, rallying around that cause to win it all and to win the big game, has a great relationships. But now, even with all of his success in a long time, 22 years is not brief, for a long time he has that community. And now the big question that's being asked by most commentators this week was, well, what's next though? We don't even want to take a moment to focus on the 20. What's next? Because there's always got to be something next. Your, your, your cause is going to be different now because you're not playing anymore. Even, even Tom himself, he made the comment, he said, I'll probably need therapy because it's a jolt for a lot of athletes to come out of something that they're so involved in for so long of how do I deal with this? I've, I've known people who've retired after years of a specific job and now all of a sudden it's pretty great for, for, for a little while and then it's like, what's next? What's my cause? My cause before was just to get enough money to retire. I'm retired. What's my cause now? Same is true even of a great cause of marriage and family. I'm a big fan of marriage. I like it. I'm a proponent of it. God's got it for you. Do it. It's awesome. I love marriage. I love family. love to have children. All that kind of thing. A wonderful cause. It's the deepest of relationships. But even, even the, the, the cause of that family, the essence of that community, what happens when the unexpected happens or even the expected happens? And that cause changes. For some of you, you, you the, the cause of, of raising that child or helping raise that grandchild even, when they hit a certain age and they leave and they move, still the relationship, but the cause is a little bit different when they're no longer under your roof. It's just, it just is. It's just different. That's kind of an expected thing, but it's different. The community looks different. Or what about when the unexpected happens and he gets that diagnosis and your world comes crumbling down? I remember when we were going through premarital counseling, Tiffany and me, and not just our premarital counselor, but also other people in our life were talking to us about the importance of, man, be all in, be invested, wholly committed, love each other deeply. But God's got to be first. 
because he's greater than even this marriage. Because the unexpected can happen, though obviously we don't want that. No one wants to go through that. And so, does your cause change based upon the circumstance of that kind of relationship, even when life and death happens? Because his cause and his change and his community is everlasting. I remember listening to a preacher that I would enjoy listening to, and he would be asked to go and speak at different places around the country and get on a plane. Both he and his wife just lived in constant kind of fear of like, what if I crash? And I leave you and the kids just on your own. Like, what do I do? A genuine, just honest fear from a God-fearing guy of I want to be a good husband, good provider, good protector for my family. But what if? And he was just kind of suffocated with this fear. And then he's kind of had to step back and got into the Word and he realized he, <laughs> he and his wife just sat down and was like, obviously we don't want that to happen, but our cause for the glory of the Lord is even greater than, than this marriage and this family. And that's a hard place to get to, but what about when the expected or the unexpected happens, even with one of the most precious of communities, the family? See, if the reason that you're together or being together as any kind of community is temporal, then, then the community is temporal. But what if instead of being tethered to something that is temporal, even as good as those things may be. What if your ultimate cause was tethered to something that is eternal? What if, you, what if you were connected to something that has eternal value, eternal impact? Because that race never ends, and that cause is forever. It's the glory of Jesus. And when that cause becomes central to you as an individual and us as mission point, when we rally around the cause and the mission of Jesus, our community will only grow deeper and stronger and more impactful than ever before. That's what you're built for. Community cause, other ways to put it, because I like alliteration, intimacy, impact, people, purpose, relationships, reason, all of it, however you want to word it, that is placed in your heart by the Creator, only fulfilled by the Creator. So that's the question and answer of what is the longing of a human heart. I believe those two. The next question is, well, what's the solution? And I've already given it, but the solution is the Sunday school answer, Jesus. But it's just true, and I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to make that trivial because it's true. Jesus and his mission, his cause, is the solution. Some of you are bored with church because you don't recognize the incredible, valuable, eternal cause that you've been called to. And when you do that, it gets kind of scary and exciting all at the same time when you're like, I am, I'm a mission with Jesus because he's my cause and his glory. And so if you're in this room, again, I don't want to make assumptions upon anyone, or if you're watching online, is that, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, if, if, have, you, have you taken the time? And for those of you who are going to be working towards those that you live, work, and play with, those three individuals that we presented just this last week that we're praying for and asking God to help us develop a burden for, ask that individual, ask yourself, if this man made such an impact upon this world that we changed the calendar system hospitals have been instituted in his name, higher education was because of the cause of Jesus. All of this, like, if he's made such an impact like no other man who's ever lived on this earth has ever caused, do you not think that it is significant to give some of your consideration of who this man is? To take the time to consider Jesus. With, with your friends and your family members that you live, work, and play with, of what do you do with Jesus? I think it would be foolhardy to see a man make that kind of impact and not 
consider and spend some significant time considering Him. And I share that with you, one, because I want us to experience that community and cause as Mission Point. But also because this is what's about to be founded within the church of Philippi right now. And we get to see the origins of how this community got started in the rally, the cause of Jesus, they come around. So we're going to read another large chunk of Scripture. So look at chapter 16, verse 14. You'll remember Paul is down at the riverside because people are down at the riverside to pray. Verse 14, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful uh, to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Meaning she kind of kept asking and asking, and eventually she won him over. It happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued to do this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowds, they rose up together against them. The chief priests, or excuse me, the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened wide and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and he rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, man, highlight it, underline it. Get your eyeliner, lipstick, mark it. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Amen is right. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen saying, release those men, those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly. No, no, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. 
And they were afraid, rightly so, when they heard that they were Romans. Remember, Paul is a Roman citizen. And they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So, as I asked before, what's the greatest longing of of heart, of human heart, cause and community? What's the solution? Jesus and his mission. But now the next question is, who gets to be a part of this community? Who gets to be a part of this cause? I mean, think about the different groups that we want to be a part of. Some people want to be a part of maybe being a part of the NFL, but that means you got to be like in the top 1% of the 1% of athletes. And suffice it to say, I don't think that's any of us. And so it's hard for us to get admission into that kind of community. It was also true like when you, when you were in high school and college and there was like a group that you wanted to be a part of and you're like, well, if I want to be a part of this group, I've got to maybe dress a certain way. I've got to talk a certain way. I've got to laugh a little bit, but not too much because I don't want to be the weird guy that laughs too loud, too hard for too long because then they won't accept me. There's certain parameters that I know that I've got to kind of stay within. Same is true with jobs. You've got to have the right resume with the right experience, the right references in order to get in. And then with a the job, <laughs> I want to get in and then I've got to perform. Otherwise, they're going to kick me out. And so on and on it goes. But what we find is this community and this cause, the origin of it is beautiful. There's three different individuals we're going to focus on and then we'll be done. Lydia. Lydia is a seller of purple. Um, This may be a little bit interesting, but do you have that map again? Just because I want to show them something. I apologize for that. I don't think I had it in the order of things. Um, I just want to show you where where she's at. So she lives in Thyatira, which is in Asia. And that's where... um, She's doing pretty well, but she makes her way to Philippi. Why? Well, she's a seller of purple. What's the big deal of that? Purple was super expensive, super rare. And what happened is, in this part of the world, not as easy for a lady to have her own business and be independent. Over here, in Greece, it's a little bit different kind of culture. This means that this woman is business savvy, probably very intelligent, capable, and is making a good amount of money. I mean, incredibly, incredibly successful. And it's here that Paul finds her down at the river to pray. She seems to have some kind of knowledge of God, understanding of God, but she doesn't know faith in Jesus yet at this point. And what's interesting is this point is Paul's general MO when he's been traveling here in Galatia and even here in Asia, is it was his normal custom to go into a synagogue. That's where he would always start to visit with people, where there was kind of community that knew the Old Testament, knew Jewish customs, and he would make that bridge of, you've been waiting for the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. We, we heard and read his first uh, sermon back in Acts chapter 14. Maybe 13, I don't remember now. Um, but what, what you have is, the further he gets away from Jerusalem, there are synagogues, but they become less and less. And so when he gets to Philippi, it's believed there's probably not a synagogue, because to have a synagogue, you have to have at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So in this instance, there might still be some individuals that want to get together because they know of the one true God of Judaism and they want to worship him. And so they would go down to the river to pray. Not an uncommon thing to to do. So Paul's like, well, my normal process and procedure is this, but I'm going to go down here and do it a little bit differently. And here he meets with these individuals, but specifically these women. And one way that it's translated specifically in verse 13 is he sat down and began to reason with them, speak to them, reason with them. And to me, it seems to make sense that here's Lydia, this intelligent, 
capable, successful businesswoman. And she, she maybe is more looking for reason or understanding, like speak to me and just, just give me the information and I'm going to process that. I'm going to receive it in order to know what to do. And as she does, and as Paul speaks to her, the light clicks on for her by the power and the person of the Holy Spirit that she comes to understand her need of the Lord. It says God opened her heart to respond to these things. And as she does so, the first thing that she wants to do is now that I'm a part of the cause of Jesus... I'm part of the community. My house is open. Immediately, how can I be a part of this community? Because I'm a part of this cause. And her her house is going to be, I I think, the place where the church of Philippi generally meets. And so you go from Lydia, and then you go to someone who couldn't be more opposite than Lydia. You go to this, this slave girl. Her exact opposite. Lydia is independent. The slave girl, obviously, a slave. Lydia is successful. The slave girl has no rights, and is even owned by these men. As she's owned by these men, dominated by these men, she, she's not looking for some kind of escape or some kind of understanding of the gospel with reason as Lydia would. She's looking for some kind of release from a real spiritual darkness, demon possession. Couldn't be, couldn't be more different. And so this demon possession had come into her life in whatever way, whether she stepped into the darkness or the darkness stepped into her, But what she's needing is she's needing strongholds to be broken, these chains of this demonic power to be set free. And so what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't reason with her. (laughs) He speaks in the name of Jesus for that demon to come out of her. He recognizes that that's what she needs. She needs to be released out of this darkness. And some people ask, well, when she was following them and she says these men are bondservants of the Most High, and she's crying this out, following them around town, why does this bother Paul so much? And there's all kinds of speculation, again, of maybe she was saying it in a mocking way. We don't get context or tone. Um, maybe she, who knows? Or maybe just a simple answer is the reason why this was bothering Paul so much is a demon-possessed slave girl was following her, following them around, crying out things. It was, it was like just enough out of her. And in a moment, darkness no more. She didn't need reason. She just needed the power of the utmost high. To release her from darkness. Then we get to the third character, the jailer. Look at the jailer. The jailer, he, he's not the intellectual. He's not the businessman. He's not the one who's been enslaved in this demonic thing. He's not looking, thinking that he's in some kind of dark place. He's your eight to five, nine to five, blue collar worker, just doing his job, sticking his head down. I'm going to provide for my family, take care of those. I'm going to just do my job. I'm not looking for Jesus. I'm not looking for religion. I'm not looking for any of that kind of thing. I just want to do my job. And I love this kind of guy. And his job, his one job as a jailer is to keep people in prison. And then here comes Paul and Silas. These guys got some huge whelps on their back and probably all over their body. They've been beaten with rods, as it says, many times. And here comes Paul and Silas, and he says, I'm not going to have any issues with them. He takes them to the inner prison. He literally puts stocks, he locks them up, feet, ankles, all of it. They can't get out, they can't move. And this whole time, apparently, they've been singing and praising God. That's just weird. (laughs) But it's awesome. I love the fact that they are just continuing to say, in the high of highs, I'm going to praise them. In the low of lows, I'm going to praise them. Maybe that's a word for some of you today. And so here they are in this inner dark prison cell. They're singing. The other prisoners are listening to them. And I imagine the jailer, as he's locking them up, is like, these are just some religious weirdos. You guys just do what you need to do. I'm going to be outside the prison making sure you don't get out. But I don't really, I don't really care. So he does his job. He goes to sleep. And then earthquake hits. 
Another way to put it is an external calamity disrupts his life. Something outside messes with his inside. When that kind of devastation comes crashing in, he realizes my one purpose as a jailer to keep them in, make sure they don't get out, is ruined. My purpose, my cause, is now just done. He wants to do the what was considered the honorable thing, because he's going to get killed anyway. He's going to take his own life with his sword. And yet Paul yells out, don't, don't do it, man. We're here. Don't let this crisis... Don't let this external calamity be the end of you. We're here. Can those that you live, work, and play with, the three that are on your list and on your heart, do they know you're there? And it's pretty simple just to be there, right? Do they know you're there? Before he realizes he thought these guys were just religious nuts, but now he realizes that these religious nuts, when the external crisis hits, They have this peace that doesn't make sense. They've come in after being beaten with rods and they're praising God. Their external crisis led them to worship God. My external crisis led me to want to take my life. No hope. Previously, when his life wasn't in shambles, just doing his job, living his nine to five, pre-earthquake, he hears these guys singing, thinking you guys are weird. But when his life falls apart and they're still there with him, for him, He's like, okay, you guys are weird, but I want some of your weird. Do the people around you want your weird? <laughs> do, they, do, they want to, do they want that thing, that thing they can't quite put their finger on? Why are you different? And it's not that you've got to slap a silly smile on your face if you've got some kind of diagnosis, some kind of loss or grief of like, oh, it's so good. It's just like, no, I can't explain it, but there's, there's a peace and a, and a willingness that even in the lows, I'm going to seek him first. In the highs, I'm going to, I'm going to seek him first. What the jailer didn't need, like Lydia, he didn't need a reasoned response. He didn't need to be sat down and spoken with. Like, unlike the slave girl, he didn't need some kind of breakthrough from a demonic dark place because he didn't think he had a problem. But when his world collapsed and crisis hit, he needed someone that would... <laughs> he needed that religious person in his office to be there and trust. Are you available to those on your heart and on your mind? Are you there? Because not if, when, because we all have experienced the when of external issues hitting us right between the eyes. In your own life, it's happening to those that you're praying for right now. Are you there? And what he does is he's just trembling. He says, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, verse 31. He puts his faith in Jesus Christ. He takes Paul and Silas home. He bandages their wounds. And not only does he understand this and his life forever changed, his family hears this and their life is forever changed. We don't have time to get into it. Just because he got saved doesn't mean that his family was saved. That's not what this is teaching. But because he did get saved, there are statistics to show that when the father of the home, the man of the house, gives his life to Jesus and lives radically for him, it changes the entire household. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to come to faith in Christ, but it changes the household in a way that statistically when the mom does or a child does, it has that but there's just something unique about when the man lives his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, live for Jesus. Is he your cause or is your cause? I'm provider and protector. Your cause is Jesus. Rally around him. So who gets to be a part of this community and this cause? I never really answered the question. The one who gets to be a part of this community and this cause, well, it's interesting. There was a prayer back in those days of where a Jewish man would get up and say, thank you, God, that I am not a woman, I am not a slave, and I am not a Gentile. 
They would pray that prayer. And yet Luke, who is writing this, I don't think it's coincidence that he's like, who do, how do, who do I want to share about when we first came to Philippi and how this community of faith got built? He says, let's talk about a woman who was radically changed. Let's talk about a slave girl who was radically changed. And let's talk about a Gentile who was radically changed. Who can get in? The gospel is available to everybody. Don't forget that for your persons on your heart. The gospel, Jesus, is available to all. So what I'm asking you guys to do is, in just a minute, as he's available to all who believe, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. We're not going to sing. I'm just going to ask you guys if you would to bow your head and close your eyes. And this is how we're going to close. And if, if you want to have your eyes open because you want to write something down, because that might be helpful for you, do it. But just kind of this time and this attitude of just prayer as we finish and as we conclude today. But, but the first question that I would just want to ask you is, is this. Do you believe? Who or what do you believe in? We believe in all kinds of things, but who do you believe? And so for a moment, I want you to take a moment, even if you are a follower of Jesus, take a moment just to, again, consider Jesus. Think of Jesus. Dwell on Jesus. Take a moment where you're at right now, just in the time of prayer, and be reminded that He is your cause. His mission is your cause. Before we move on to the next one, just with head bowed and eyes closed. Do you believe in Jesus? If you're watching online or if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know, maybe, but I would like to talk with someone to consider Jesus. Because you're right, he did make such an impact in all of history and all of society. If, that, if that's you, if you're online, contact us, email us. If you're in the room and you would say, Pastor, I, I would just like to, to talk with you about what it means to believe in Jesus, because I'm just not sure. Just let me see you look at me, and I'll know that you'd like to visit, have a conversation about what it means to believe in Jesus. Second thing, not only do you believe, but are you a part of the cause, his cause? Are you a part of the cause? And what I mean by that is it's more than just showing up. It's, it's, it's more than just being a person in a seat on a Sunday. That's not the cause of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is so much more fun than that. And so if you're not, if you would say, I'm not really a part of that cause, jump in. Jump in with what we're doing here at Mission Point of the whole live, work, play. Of wanting to focus on three individuals in our life that we live, work, or play. 
that we would be intentional to want to develop a burden for them by praying for them and their needs and then demonstrating compassion to them for, yes, the purpose and the cause that they could hear about Jesus. Are you a part of the cause? For some of you jumping in is you need to be a part of this church family. It's time to join. It's, it's time to join. It's time to be all in. Time, resources, abilities, all in. Jump in. It's fun. Join us. Then the last question that I want you to pray through is, are you in community? I kind of skipped ahead and jumped the gun, but yeah, join us. Join the church at Mission Point. If you are already a member, join the cause of what we're trying to do with Live, Work, and Play. It's not the only thing that we could do, but it's something that we're going to choose to rally around because we want to proclaim the gospel together. And for others of you, join a small group. Not because it's the church thing to do, what a pastor wants you to do, but because, man, you need community. You need those 2 a.m. friends that you could call in the middle of the night and say, hey, could you watch my grandchild? i got to go to the ER. We need that. We need one another. We need each other when external crisis is hit. It's hard enough to live this life on our own. We need each other. So I'm going to give you just a few minutes more. Do you believe in Jesus? Are you a part of the cause, His cause? And are you in community? Not just simply do you go to church. Church doesn't save you. Church is a people. Are you part of the cause that the church is wanting to be a part of?